In Session with Dr. Farid Hulakwi. Good evening. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Hulakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So let's get into the book of the week, but trying something different tonight. Uh, tonight I'll be joined by clinical psychologist Dr. Jennifer Galvin to discuss the book of the week, which is The Untethered Soul, The Journey Beyond Yourself by Michael A. Singer. So um, Dr. Galvin actually recommended this book to me. I'd seen it before. And so because of that strong recommendation, I read it and thought um, also with her suggestion, why not have her on the show to discuss the book together rather than just to have me discuss the book. If you've heard uh, her on the show before, you probably are familiar with her, but I'll give you a brief introduction. Dr. Jennifer Galvin is a clinical psychologist in private practice in Calabasas, California. She received her Bachelor of Arts from San Diego State University, where she majored in psychology, and later she earned a Master of Arts in Clinical Psychology and a Doctor of Philosophy in Clinical Psychology from Alliant International University. She's also obtained Advanced Clinical Training in Psychoanalytic Psychotherapy at the New Center for Psychoanalysis, where she earned a certificate in psychoanalytic psychotherapy. Also, um, she has recently begun a weekly newsletter, and you can sign up for that on her website, which is galvinpsychology.com, if I'm correct. Yes, um, and that's a really great way to get some Wednesday wisdom or the wave of Wednesday wisdom, which comes out every Wednesday. So check that out as well. Dr. Jennifer Galvin, thank you for joining me tonight. Hi, good evening. Thank you for having me again. It's always a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you here To as talk well. about my favorite book. Yes, this is. And yeah, you were the one that really pushed me on this book. I'd seen it before, heard about it, but hearing your strong recommendation was um, what really made me finally get the book and read it. And then we thought this would be a cool idea to have you on to discuss. We wanted to have you on anyway, because it had been a while, but to discuss the book. So the book we'll be talking about tonight is The Untethered Soul, The Journey Beyond Yourself by Michael A. Singer. I think it came out around 2007. Yeah, I was going to say, it's actually been out for quite some time. I remember when we were in graduate school, this book was out and on the New York Times bestseller list. And it's really interesting to see that it's still pretty popular and Mm -hmm. active and also just what's interesting for someone that reads a lot of books like you do is the timing of the books and why you choose to read them when you read them and when they come into your life. So um, hopefully that's what happens to all of the listeners tonight, that they get exactly what it is that they need to hear yeah. for this moment in their life. Yeah, it is interesting. I've had that experience with different books, reading them at different times. Also, a, a book like this, too, because it has a lot of depth to it you can read more than once and Mm -hmm. you might get something very different from it because of where you are at that point in your life um but yeah we can get into the book it's a it's a as i mentioned it's a bit deep and also abstract at times he talks about spirituality he talks about consciousness energies a whole bunch of things and we'll get into some of those but maybe you can just start us off with some of those central ideas of the book yeah i'd love to so The book 
basically begins with this idea of a voice being inside of our mind that talks to us all the time. So we think we're alone, but we're never really alone. There is a voice inside of our minds that are that is usually dictating a lot of our behavior, a lot of our feelings, a lot of planting thoughts, things like that. So, you know, maybe you wake up and your thoughts say something like, oh, no, you don't, you don't really want to go to the gym today or you don't want to see that person or you should really go here or there, you know, whatever it tells you, you know, you need to work harder or you need to work less. Um, and so when you start to become familiar and you become an observer to this active voice in your mind, you start to separate from it a little bit. So you, a lot of us, I think we move through our life and our days kind of thinking that we are that voice in our mind. Mm-hmm. Um, we think that the thoughts we think are our thoughts and our feelings are our feelings and we need to listen to it and do it that way. But, you know, creating some space or some differentiation where you realize that there is actually a consciousness or a being. He uses a lot of words yeah. interchangeably, I think. So um, I'll kind of do the same and you'll get the idea of it. But he talks about how there's an observer behind that voice. So there is a mm-hmm. being, a presence, an essence, whatever you want to call it. Um, that stands kind of behind the scenes as, as a consciousness, as an awareness to that can watch the thoughts, that can hear the thoughts, that can see the feelings come through. So, um, yeah, the, the voice in the mind, it just does what it normally does. It, it just tries to always tell you that something's not okay all mm-hmm. the time and you need to work on something or make it better. Um, that you need to transcend that part that's not okay, that you need to protect yourself, that you need, there's always something you need to be doing. Yeah. Actually made me think of, and I think it's more than just that, but uh, in neuroscience, they'll talk about the default mode network, which is like the part of your, so they realized they would have people do tasks like, okay, we want you to, you know, read these 20 words and then they'd say, okay, take a break. But then they realized like during that, like quote unquote break, like parts of the brain would be active. And so over time, they realized it was almost always like the same type of, they called it over time, the default mode network. And they found that it seemed like it was kind of trying to resolve certain things or think about yourself, think about social things. And so when I read that part, you know, when I read this in the book, it made me think of that in a way, like this part of our brain that's always trying to like, yeah, like you were saying, solve a problem where you almost like looks for problems to make sure nothing's going wrong. Uh, And then as you said, okay, but who is it that hears that voice that's like, doing that complaining or that worrying, which is what it seems like he's saying. That's almost in a way like, you know, there's a, he doesn't, I don't know if he ever uses the word authentic self or he does say maybe true self, but that seems to be what he is saying is like really who we are is that observer within that notices those, that chatter, but the chatter isn't us, that observer is really right. Who we are. Yeah. He calls it to be in the seat of awareness or mm-hmm. the seat of the self. So he uses a capital S yeah. self to seat, sit in the seat of the self rather than identifying with your thoughts and your feelings and all of the programming that goes on in your mind. Yeah. And so even, you know, I, I think sometimes we've heard this distinction of saying rather than I am angry, it's like I feel angry or it's like one aspect of you so when i say if i say Mm -hmm. i am angry it's like that's all i am is like this angry feeling whereas that if i feel angry it's like that's part of my experience or it's something that i can notice but it creates some distance part of me is feeling angry or a part of my voice the voice in my mind is telling me that i'm feeling angry any version that really resonates with you i think the ultimate goal is to create differentiation is what we would call it in the psychological world but really it's just some space 
and separation from that voice in the mind Mm -hmm. so that at times when you catch it, you can pull back and say, oh, I can hear that thought go off. Oh, I can see that anger moving through me. Um, It's a little bit of it's a very slight shift, but it's it makes a huge difference because that little bit of space or those few seconds in between really grant you so many more options as to how you want to choose to respond. Mm -hmm. Um, And I say the word respond with an emphasis because I think when you identify with that voice in your mind, we oftentimes react rather than respond. And um, that can reactions can come from a very charged place um, of anger or sadness or even positive emotions, happiness, whatever it is, but it's, it's not, there's no space. So reactions pretty quick Mm -hmm. and um, unprocessed. And, you know, he goes into as he goes further into talking about the voice in the mind and the seat of the self, he talks about how we oftentimes will just close up. Um, Mm -hmm. We'll close up because something will come at us in our life, in, in the environment, and it will cause a reaction. It'll cause that voice in the mind to get activated. And then you're, it's telling you all sorts of things and you're feeling all sorts of things. And, you know, oftentimes that's the moment when we're feeling really charged with emotion and want to behave reactively. And so he goes on to talk about how when you have blocked or unprocessed energies throughout your life, which we all have, right? I mean, there's past impressions in our life, things that have happened that have created an imprint on us that we would call programming or like you were saying, what was it? The mode of default Default mode network, Mm network, right? And um, the programmed, the programming that happens from these past impressions or the history of your life or events that have occurred, that's really what causes you to open versus close. So if you have a positive programming or, you know, good memories and experiences, playing in the playground with someone, then your heart's probably open in that environment. You're a lot more inclined to lean in and socialize and engage. Whereas let's just say something happened in a playground and you fell and got really hurt and somebody was laughing at you, that would be a negative past impression. And naturally that would cause us to close up or withdraw. We don't feel safe in those situations. And so that becomes the blocked energy that we then store inside. And oftentimes it's stored you know, as as Michael Singer talks about it in the book, in the heart chakra. Mm-hmm. So these blocked energies kind of store, it's almost like an elevator, like they just kind of go further down as you add more into it. And it just locks further down into your heart space, your heart chakra. And, you know, it ends up creating a very restrictive space inside where it's difficult to really feel at a hundred percent or feel like you're receiving all of the energy that's available to you. Yeah. And I think that's, um, you know, the book, it, even at times my experience of the book was that it almost felt repetitive because it was like the same themes, but I think it's because these themes are, there's, there's a bit, it's an abstract. It's also so subtle. It's like, what is the, so what I think, well, what's the difference between my voice that's hearing versus my voice that's feeling, you know, it could seem difficult to differentiate those, which I think is why he goes into it in so many details in so many different ways. But at times I was like, okay, it seems like he said that already, but it's, I think with a, a, a twist on it. But as you were saying, our, our experiences create these, and we can maybe talk about this concept of an inner thorn, but these, um, you know, you call it the programming, these types of emotional charges that remain. And then, 
things we experience in the present day will trigger those or will tap into those. And I think part of what can be really valuable when you go into that observing, and it's deeper than this, but is that observing part of yourself is that when you feel something rather than saying, oh, if I'm mad at someone, they must have done something so wrong is you can recognize, well, what is it bringing up within me? You know, right. what might this be triggering? Okay, they they said something, you know, not nice or the person cut me off, but what might this also be bringing up within me past pains or past experiences similar to this that is making me react, as you were saying, have a uh, a wanting to react so strong, but I can respond if I give myself some space to recognize, okay, this might be leading me to some wound within myself or right. something. And, and I think me. it's actually a really empowering perspective to take because, you know, it doesn't mean that someone else isn't at fault or right. isn't to blame or didn't do anything wrong, but you have no control over that. And so to spend your time and energy focusing on what someone else did to you or did to someone else you know, there's some space for that, but it doesn't ultimately change the person or their behavior. And so it's it's pretty disempowering to just be the victim only that right. blames others. And so to to what you're saying, I think, yeah, he, he definitely encourages to acknowledge the other half, which I think is the part that goes missed oftentimes, where you look inside yourself to, like you said, to look at what he calls the inner thorn. So this is a concept he brings up in the book that really resonated with both of us. Mm -hmm. um, and he talks about it in terms of these impressions that I was discussing. So when there is no negative or personal issue, that there is no negative impression, then events and situations and conversations, they just move through your consciousness. So, you know, one of the examples he gives is like when you're driving and you see all these cars and you see the trees and you see the roads and we don't even process those things consciously because... We're just on autopilot most of the time when we're driving. But then when you see something on the road that catches your eye, I think the example he gives is like you see your boy ex-boyfriend's car, right? Yeah. Something I think like that. His girlfriend, but you yeah, his, girlfriend, his girlfriend's car. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, all of a sudden your heart drops and, you know, you start to remember the history of your relationship with that person. And, um, you know, all, all of these things start to come up for you, which is what would be similar to the phrase your inner thorn being activated mm -hmm. or someone wiggling your inner thorn. Um, and so it's interesting because there's something about that experience that got blocked in your consciousness because it didn't just move through. It's yeah. like water off the duck's back, except it doesn't move through. And so that's an indicator when there's a charge, when there's a reaction, when something doesn't move through, that there is a blockage and an unprocessed energy in your heart chakra that's not really allowing you to presently be in the seat of the self yeah and and also like you're saying the present it kind of keeps you in whatever that thing was that happened like you can't feel yourself get past it in a way and these things are always you know uh, there's a there's a blurriness to it because we even were talking before the show that of course sometimes someone does something and it hurts you and it's understandable that it hurts you so to, we obviously don't expect you have no reaction to it so just because right. you have pain or discomfort or hurt doesn't mean oh that means you definitely have some past wound that's something's going on but we sometimes notice something feels like it's sticking more than we would expect it to and that's where you have to be like that awareness because sometimes we want to say no no what they did was so bad but then sometimes we step back okay what they did was bad but i feel like it's really sticking to me deeper than I would expect if I really look at what happened. And I'll quickly say this before we go to the commercial break, this concept, which we both really uh, liked of the inner thorn, he shares the example of, okay, if you, let's say you had an outer thorn, like an actual thorn in your arm. And so you learn to deal with it. Okay. When I sleep, I have to sleep a certain way. So my arm, you know, cause I right. roll over it, it hurts. So if I, or if I go outside, make sure I don't bump into anything because then the thorn hurts. And so 
he gives this example of this person. I actually liked how he presented that. And then they even come up with a contraption and they might even right. make money off of it. Because sometimes the ways we create these defenses, we get reinforced for it in Correct. a variety of ways. Um, and he says, like, yeah, so the person comes up with all these ways to avoid feeling that pain of the thorn or trying to avoid the pain of and the thorn. And if anyone touches it and causes the pain, then it's their fault. It's, it's their fault. Right. Yes. Yeah, so mad at them or why do they do this? But realizing that the other option would be, well, what if you just remove the thorn right. and now you don't have to do all these things to avoid it? And so recognizing that emotionally or in our psyche, we have a lot of these inner thorns where we then try to live life to make sure nothing disrupts it or hurts it. So, okay, if I'm sensitive about this, make sure I never put myself in a position where, let's say, I don't want to get rejected, so I'll never put myself out there in some way because that's safe. Or, um, you know, if you're afraid of flying, I'll never go on a plane. I'll just find ways to get there other than planes. But then you don't realize the ways you're limiting yourself to, like, avoid that pain. And so I think it's, for me, it was really interesting because it's so deep. There's so many layers to these, you know, self-limiting beliefs to... A variety of things that we all carry but we don't realize that we're carrying because being on autopilot as you're saying or the unconscious processing of all these things we just think oh and no the I'm normalization just of it yeah right? this is what feels right or this mm-hmm. is what i want to do um rather than realizing that no there's something we're trying to protect ourselves from yeah and as we go into the commercial break i think to to that note it's we may be protected but we're not free Yes. So as we, when we come back from the break, we can talk about yeah, that. That's a big theme. Yeah. That, yeah. that freedom and what right. does that mean? The liberation. That's right. So again, my guest tonight, Dr. Jennifer Galvin, we were talking about The Untethered Soul by Michael A. Singer. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Again, I'm joined by Dr. Jennifer Galvin. We're discussing the book, The Untethered Soul by Michael A. Singer. Before the break, we were talking about the inner thorn. The analogy uses if you had an outer thorn and how you would potentially protect yourself to try to not feel that pain. Um, But you were talking about you would possibly be protected, but not free. So can you talk about that? Yeah. So very much like you were describing, if you had a wound or a thorn externally on your skin, Right. So it's the same thing. So as you create something that keeps that thorn protected, as you move away from anyone that might mess with it, as you, you know, don't use your arm that has a thorn stuck in it, all of those things do keep you safe and protected and more than likely will minimize the harm or the pain. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like a very difficult and exhausting life to live that way. And I think a lot of us don't really, it's very easy for us to understand these concepts when we put them in a physical form. Yeah. Like if someone had diabetes versus Mm -hmm. if someone had depression, right? And so, you know, with the same thing with this, it's, it's, we, I think a lot of us end up doing these types of things on an emotional level um, and we don't even really realize it or have the awareness around it. And so when we don't like someone because they said something that was triggering, when, you know, somebody does something and then we move away from them or we criticize them, that's very much similar to having that externalized thorn. It's just emotional and we can't see it. So what we do is we end up moving away from that person. We start to judge them with negative language. We don't want to be around them. You know, they're not nice people. They do this, they do that. Um, And I think what ends up happening is we keep ourselves protected and safe from those charged negative feelings that that person or situation creates within or activates within us, I should say. Mm -hmm. But really, our life ends up becoming smaller 
and more closed. And I think that's a word that we haven't really brought up yet that's pretty big in this book about closing your heart. Um, One of my favorite lines in the book, he says, quote, I'm not going to close, period. I'm going to relax. I'm going to let the situation take place and be there with it because no one and nobody is worth me closing my heart off to them. Mm. And I thought that was so interesting because a lot of times we think, oh, let me open my heart to this person or let me give them another chance or hold the space. And we think we're doing them a favor and you know whether they deserve it or not. And we go down that rabbit hole as opposed to looking at ourselves. And so that sentence in the book really helped me stop and look at myself. Like, is this person or situation worth me closing off and blocking more unprocessed energy inside my heart Hmm. only to then continue to restrict my life and make people in the situation smaller and smaller because other people and things will activate those wounds that are unprocessed inside my heart. So I ask myself that a lot now when I'm faced with situations like, is this worth me closing my heart off to this? And I hope the answer is no. And if it is no, then it's just a really simple practice where you where you really get to stop and just make the conscious choice like, okay, there's something going on here that's activating me. Let me go back inside myself, like we talked about earlier, because you can't control other people and see what it was inside. What is that thorn? Let me get to know you a little bit better. And so as a psychologist, I speak with my patients a lot about having a relationship with all these different parts of ourselves. Um, Like you were mentioning in the beginning of, of the show how, you know, it's not I am angry, all of me is angry, it's a part of me is angry. And so if you get to know these parts of you, like you sit down and you act like this is a part, a person, mm-hmm. and you take your anger and you put them in front of you and you have a converse, an imaginative conversation with it, like, why are you so upset? Why are you so angry? Why do you want to hurt that person? Why do you not want to never speak to them again? You may actually get some answers Mm -hmm. from your unconscious mind that you wouldn't get if you didn't take the time or the space for reflection. And so when you do that, you have an opportunity to go inside and to release whatever has been stuck inside of your heart and free yourself instead of continuously restricting your life to keep yourself protected. Yeah. And that's a, uh, that, that theme of freedom. And I, I think I, f- I forgot if it was exactly in this kind of words, was basically like pain is the price you pay for freedom. Right. Um, which I think is very powerful. This, you know, there's this balance, I think, always of like freedom and doing what whatever you want and protection or taking care of yourself, you know? And even I, I see this so clearly with parents, but of course we're doing it to ourselves where I think the imbalance is usually parents are more focused on the protection side. They're just, I don't want something bad to happen to right. my kid, right? So, you know, even like you see those like parents of teenagers where it's like, why, why go to the party? Just like have your friends here and we're going to, you know, we'll we'll get food and things and we'll have a really good time here because then they feel like, okay, I know they're going to be safe. And so rather than giving them the space to have an experience and to go, you know, grow in certain ways, they're just so fixated on the protection side that they don't recognize they're getting away in the of the growth side and the freedom side. And so, but we do that to ourselves too, where we think right. I can't do this. You know, what if I get embarrassed if I do that? Mm-hmm. What if people think this of me, people think that of me? And most of it's happening unconsciously, which is why it's so important to go and it's like you were saying, into those wounds or into those feelings or into that being that observing Experience, self to see yeah. what's happening because all of us, me and you included, are in this comfort zone and in these, you know, these restrictions that we think are so real, but they're really in our head. And so if we allow ourselves to face that pain that would come about if we 
go into those things that we're afraid of, we would also be able to live much more free. You know, even when right. I mean, when I hear the untethered much soul, that's part openly. of that. Mm-hmm. Like you're not tethered to this. Like I'm restricted to. And, it has and to be I think it way. also gives us an opportunity to be okay more often, mm-hmm. right? It's like you know, we we judge things whether they're good or bad, whether we like someone or don't like someone. All of those things are really judgments that we've created based on whether we're okay or not. Mm-hmm. So if somebody makes us feel okay, then we like them. If somebody makes us feel not okay, then we don't like them. And so you know, and it's, it's. I think it's really important for us to recognize how much we, again, maybe unconsciously manipulate people in situations like our kids, like stay home because yeah. that's what makes us feel okay. As opposed to, okay, like I noticed, you know, if you if you hold the seat of, of self, the seat of awareness, you notice that you're feeling anxious when your child wants to leave the home and go out. You, you notice it as the observer instead of being it, mm-hmm. where you're now this anxious parent that's like, you can't go, where are you going? When are you gonna come? And you start reacting anxiously. So then you have so many more opportunities to not only go inside those wounds that created the anxieties to begin with, but to even connect with your child and say, you know, I noticed that I'm feeling some anxious feelings moving through me and, you know, I'm going to open my heart and I'm going to trust that everything's going to be fine. And, you know, maybe you have a different, an alternative way of responding in that situation as opposed to just reacting from a place of fear and wound, yeah, an internal wound. Yeah, yeah, that that's you know this um, the parent. I think parenting analogies work really well because first of all, they're so powerful and so we see them. But then recognizing like the self-parenting, like that we're right. all parents to ourselves in a way. Like, what? Do we, how much do I protect myself versus let myself face pain and you know, but be more free? Because um, I just see that. So you know, the last one of the last books I covered had a whole section on freedom and like psychological freedom, and it was really powerful for, for me. Like this sense was saying like we we talk so much about political freedom but we don't think about psychological freedom which is internal like how much am i holding myself back because of people's judgments or fear of judgments or what's normal and all those things and i really related to that because i feel that as much as there's some parts of me that i feel like are very free but i realize there's some parts that are so not free you know and so um i definitely want to reflect on that more and i invite anyone listening to think about that too because we tend to think no no the things i don't do it's because they're either stupid or wrong or yeah. i don't do that or people like you know uh you know i i work with a lot of when i work with clients and they tell me i don't want to do something like and it's something big like i want to change my job or go back to school or whatever you know a big thing might be i always want to help them try to understand is it it's because they're anxious about it or afraid of the thing or do they genuinely not want it so someone could be like oh yeah there's a promotion opening up at work but i don't want it and it's like is it because that job really doesn't resonate with you and who you are and what you want to do or is it your fear of rejection open when you make that choice and is the energy moving through you or is it stuck and then it you know we're fighting it or trying to change it or judge it yeah, we're afraid of the pain that might, you know, is right. it that fear of what if I, I'm not qualified, they reject me, or what if I get in, I can't do it? Is it that, or is it really you you genuinely don't want to do it? And it's, it's not easy. I think you really have to go within, and that's what the book is encouraging us to do, is to get in touch with and that to go within, part. and I think, you know, unfortunately, a lot of our, at least, you know, where we live, the we look to solve our inner problems with external changes, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And so, you know, he talks a lot about we, we think if we make more money or if we have more fame or if we are different people, if we have a bigger house, a nicer car, then our, we won't have that thorn wiggled anymore. And that's obviously not the case. And so, you know, he really emphasizes the importance of going within because that's where true 
freedom is, true liberation, where it doesn't matter if you have nothing or you have everything, you're at peace with yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, with moving into the, the next part of this, I think I thought it was so interesting. He talks about the addiction to the personal mind. And so he talks about, you know, like you were talking uh, earlier about, um, are you doing this because you're scared? Or are you doing this because, you know, I don't know, just because you want it? Like, mm-hmm. is it genuine? Is it is it an emotion? And so, you know, when you start to recognize that there's this voice inside of your mind and it's pretty much demanding something of you all the time. Yeah. Um, it's constantly asking you to change something or be something different. And if you can see that sometimes some, I know this can be a sensitive topic, but being addicted to this voice in your mind is a true complex, I think, Mm -hmm. that we oftentimes overlook. Um, It's, it's, you know, he says, quote, instead of getting into being bothered, you get into being free, which I thought was interesting because a lot of times we just go so deep into this voice in the mind and how much it feeds, like the judgments, the beliefs, the right and wrong, all of the things that it tells us that we lose our sense of self and we end up just having a relationship with this voice in our mind and it's dictating where we go, who we talk to, what we do. Yeah. I th- you know, actually hearing you say that reminds you of how important it is to keep in mind that when we say comfort zone it doesn't mean it necessarily feels good it just means we're used to it it's a place where we're not as anxious we feel more in control because i think we think like we're in these chairs yeah if a comfortable chair makes you feel good in it and that's a different thing but when we talk about the comfort zone of our lives it just means it's kind of things you're used to and you know how to deal with them and so we're so good at convincing ourselves that that's where we want to be. Like, I want to stay in this cage. I want to stay. This mm-hmm. not, what else could I need but this? But we don't realize like how much we're we're limiting ourselves. So I think it's so important to realize that, you know, even sometimes well, in therapy, it'll come up where someone's like, oh, that might be part of your comfort zone. Like, no, no, but it makes me miserable. Like, let's say, oh, like, you know, someone doesn't put themselves out there to date. And it's like, no, no, like, I hate it. It makes me miserable. But, but they're not realizing how much they're comfortable not putting themselves out there. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel good, but they're way more comfortable with that than facing the unknown of putting themselves out right. there and all the things that that brings up. So I think what you were saying really reminded me of how much you know, to be vigilant of that, it's because like the comfort zone is not this, it's not going to be easy to see it in ourselves. We usually think, you know, oftentimes it'll show up as like, no, I'm just being wise, or it's it's smart to do this, or I'm not being wasteful, or I'm not being this, or I don't want to be a show off. Or, you know, there's so many different ways that are, we think we're being what we want to be, but we're not realizing it's those limiting beliefs that we're afraid of facing something. One of the really like subtle things that at least I absorbed from this book was really how much we function from our thinking mind. Mm -hmm. So like what you're saying, you know, judging and thinking we're supposed to be doing things the way that we are because that's what the voice says in the mind. And, you know, the, the very, it's a very subtle, I think, message that he sends in this book about how, important and how much more fulfilling it is to lead from your heart rather than your mind. So he he kind of talks about the mind, our minds as similar to computers. And it's kind of just filters information and it gives you it, it you have to consciously watch it. It's a machine. It's like the same way you would watch your laptop and make sure it doesn't get a virus or, you know, someone doesn't download something on there that you don't want. It's more of a mechanism like that and if we as a culture, I think, as a society, really value and emphasize leading from the heart and the heart space more, I think we would 
really benefit from not only that separation from the voice and the mind so much, but maybe we wouldn't have to be so logical and rational and thinking oriented in the way in which we move through our lives. And we can really just use our heart to lead. And when something gets stuck somewhere, then it's a message to us like, oh, okay, something's going on here. Let me stop and look at it but from back here mm-hmm. which is one of the biggest things in the book it's like he he says to fall back behind the thoughts and the feelings so you're behind it watching it as it goes through and if you can do that it really allows you i think to lead with an open heart mm-hmm. and yeah. the mind follows yeah and i mean these you know and you mentioned at the beginning of the show how he uses some words interchangeably and it's tough because when we hear the heart what does that mean and it can mean different you know bring up different things for different people i mean some in some ways it sounds like the more emotional side but or the more like that observing side which is behind like you're saying my is that the heart how would you explain that like if someone's trying to say well how do i know if i'm in my mind is that the logical is the mind and the yeah i mean i think for personally and i don't know that you know this is just my opinion but personally i think the mind is really where the thinking and the logic and the assessments for protection and safety you know like how do i keep this person in this place from rubbing against this thorn how do i make sure this thorn doesn't get infected how do i make sure the thorn doesn't get touched you know i think i think about the mind as a mechanism that kind of filters information similar to what you would input in a computer mm-hmm. and then it outputs whatever it's supposed to output whereas the heart is more I visualize actually my heart and my heart space and I visualize what it would feel like if my heart had a voice, if my heart talked to me or talked to others, what it would say. And so it allows me to move more into my body Hmm. and less in my head. And in my body, I can feel more and there's more intuition there for me. And, And just visualizing what I feel and experience through my heart. Um, is is the way that I go about that? Yeah, I mean, there's a way that you're describing, it, like when you you say like the body, like there's more connected, you know, like you're more connected to your whole self in a way. Like it seems like when you're describing more connected that, connected to my feeling and my body self, yeah. which I think again as a culture we've just steered away from in a lot of ways, like the intuition, you know, the heart space, the feelings, the body's messages. When we lead so much with our minds. Mm-hmm. And with thinking and processes and patterns and programming and all of those things. And I think we lose touch with ourselves and then we lose touch with our ability to connect with others and the world from our heart space. Yeah. And I I think, you know, actually what you brought up, it's a theme. We're getting to the last commercial break. Um, You know, in the next segment, we'll talk a bit about balance and and Tao and uh, and also death. So I mean, it's not usually the most pleasant, but something so important to keep in mind. Because I think that the balance came to mind because it's like this, well, you know, it doesn't mean the mind, the thinking side is all wrong or all bad, but it's like finding that balance. And I think most of us are out of balance most of the time and maybe are going somewhere more than somewhere else. And so it's like balancing the feelings and the thinking and the, you know, all of that together. And it's a a balancing act is not something we've achieved and we're done doing. It's like a constant, he actually talks about that in the book, kind of like, each step you're taking, it's like balancing. Um, so after the break, we'll, I think those are some good themes to wrap up on. There's so much in the book, but uh, some of the main concepts that come up at the end of the book. Again, I'm joined by psychologist Dr. Jennifer Galvin. We're talking about The Untethered Soul by Michael A. Singer. We'll be right back.
back. So we'll just have some uh, concluding thoughts in this last segment on the untethered soul. Again, Dr. Jennifer Galvin is joining me. And I mentioned before the break, um, yeah, even though it's on the, as far as pages go, not a super long book, but it's very dense. It's actually a a really easy read, too. I mean, I think it comes, it flows. Yeah, it does flow. um, And there's like themes that keep coming up. So you kind of see like, you know, those same themes um, coming out throughout the book. You know, two themes that I thought could be, worth talking about because I, I thought they're really impactful was uh, the Tao, which is spelled T-A-O. Uh, you actually pointed out to me that it's not Tao. And then also he talks about there's a whole chapter on death. So um, he talks about the Tao or the middle way. Uh, and, you know, for me, this is very important because I always in trying to understand life better myself, but also discussing these topics i recognize how much that balance is important of finding this middle way sometimes people want okay should i just like always do this or always do that and he even talks about things like eating for example right. it's not like you should like always eat or never eat you have to find that right balance of how much you need to eat um and so or with like parents i feel like sometimes going back to those wounds like let's say someone's like in my childhood my, my parents never let me have anything they said no to everything so now to my kids i never want them to hear the word no right and so they think that's and so like the you know so as i say that that you know if something is unhealthy the other extreme is not healthy so if it's like if you're too cold getting too hot is not healthy becoming warm and feeling like at a right temperature that's good but because you felt too cold thinking heat is the answer will take you to the other extreme and he talks about a pendulum right. and how you know we, we want to avoid those extremes because if not we you know we end up in an unhealthy place i actually really loved that example that he gave of the pendulum because you know he talks about how there's all these different parts right and they and mm-hmm. if you take one part of the pendulum and you swing it back it only just swings back just that far the other way, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you live in these extremes of life, you really can't survive. It's it's a very difficult and exhausting way to live in which that is why he brings in the idea of the Tao, mm-hmm. which is the middle way. And I think by that, he's really emphasizing the importance of living in a balanced way in the middle. Like, you know, I, I, when I read the part about the pendulum, it really resonated with me that the what my imagination took as the feeling in that middle center ball of the pendulum, the one that never really moves. Mm-hmm. It just stays still in the middle and all of the ones next to it move equally. So if you move one on one side, the other side's going to move to the same extreme. So sometimes when I tend to get a little too extreme or imbalanced, I will visualize what it might feel like to be that center part of the pendulum that is the middle, the way, the Tao. And it it helps realign and kind of bring you back into what you would think it might feel like to be in that space. Yeah. And I, I think, it, you know, and obviously the word comes from Eastern tradition i think unfortunately western thought often is about these extremes like what do i do mm-hmm. like do this like this you know all the way and then you'll be good or you know we we go towards health in those kinds of like, extreme ways and work yeah and work to like almost everything yeah it's all about the extremes and this is kind of really trying to make clear that's not the path towards like health happiness healing is right. going to be these extremes it's finding that middle way and and as i was saying when we talk about balance of course we can think of that pendulum and there is that state where it's like totally still and we want to go towards that but really in life it's always moving things are always happening moving so finding balance is a ongoing process always. it's not a 
I've achieved balance, I'm done. And so I think people also look for that. Okay, well, if I do 18 minutes of this a day and 14 minutes of this a day, my life will be in balance. And it's good to have routines and it's good to figure out ways that make us more in balance. But it's always a, you know, going back to the awareness and checking in with yourself, you always have to check in to see if you're in balance. Right. Like, you can't just like say, well, because I did 18 minutes of blank, I'm going to feel uh, in balance. So I'm looking at the time we don't have a lot left, which is actually, that's so funny because the last thing is about death, which is about how we don't know how much time we have and, and time is fleeting. But there's a whole chapter on um, death and death awareness. Yeah, and, con I think it's called contemplating death. Yeah, and how important that is. You know, and I think it's, sometimes people get surprised by that because death is obviously this, we think of it as this negative thing and this mm -hmm. thing that's so painful that people avoid I think they also avoid that. I think that. he talks about the Grim Reaper being your friend yeah. at some point. And if you, if you really can face the idea of death at all times, again, right, it's about the balance. When mm -hmm. you remember, you bring yourself back to this idea, we're all going to die. It's going to happen. We don't know when. And what would it actually be like to live in a space when available to you, to live in a space where death is right around the corner so you know he talks about how life belongs to death and how we should feel grateful to death for giving us another day another experience and to allow the idea of that to set you free mm -hmm. instead of again scare you and close you off and restrict you yeah and and also the you know there's all these ways we try to avoid death and it doesn't mean we should you know being healthy and all those things are important but death still is inevitable whatever we do right. we can you know we can't make it uh, go away forever um but like you were saying to value i think it makes you value life so if we take our unless we take our death seriously we won't take our life seriously in the sense that you know there is this way that because we avoid thinking about death so much i always think of it this way that if you ask anyone they say of course i'm gonna die but the way we live our lives is almost as if we never are gonna die mm -hmm. so i always have like oh, I'll do that thing later, or I'll fix this relationship later on, or I'll take that risk at some other point because it feels like we have infinite time to do things. But then when you recognize, as you're saying, that death is around the corner that we don't know, he talks about, actually it was very powerful with this image of like, you know, people take their last breath not knowing it was their last breath, or they breathed in and never breathed out again. You know, there's just way, or anything that you're doing, he said someone died doing that thing. And so I was reading yeah. the book, I was like, oh yeah, people have probably died reading a book reading and they just died. Right. And so um, there's, you know, it reminds you of that, you know, he uses this example of if you were in a hospital and they said you have like one week to live and you like beg the doctor, could I at least go outside and see the sky one last time? And like you'd go out and imagine how you would look at the sky yeah. if you thought it was the last time you were seeing it. Well, and I think, you know, really what he, what I heard in that is not just, oh, you should just appreciate all the beauty and, you know, avoid anything that's negative and just live every day to the fullest. Like really, I think it's more about you would look at that sky without any expectation. Yeah. You would look at that sky and you would find whatever it is that you find in it because that's just what is available to you and that's mm -hmm. what's in front of you. And so with this whole idea of having a healthy relationship with death is really about allowing yourself to experience the life that's happening to you as opposed to experiencing, trying to experience the life that you wish was happening. Right. And so to not waste so much of your life and so much of your time trying to make things the way that you think they should be or protect yourself or to run or hide or and really just appreciate the moments that you're given. And as life unfolds things in front of you, whether it's a gray sky or a bright blue sky, it's just see it for what it is and just be in the experience of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, you know, I just something earlier in the book, this theme of like, 
if the only way you're going to be happy is if like everything in the external world is exactly like you want it to be, like you know, you're just never going to be happy. And so, yeah, right. That's like he says, takes, you will only be okay once you are okay with everything. Yeah, and that's never going to happen. Yeah. Where everything outside is going to be exactly right. what you want to be. So, yeah, and that, you know, that sunset, it's that last sunset you'll ever see. But we don't know when it's going to be. But if you're told, like we were saying, this analogy of being sick and you get to go outside, you wouldn't be like, oh, if there was more clouds, you know, you just enjoy it for right. what it was. And so he even talks about like, yeah. How would you talk to someone if you thought it was the last person you would talk to? Or how you know you would just mm-hmm. you would just be there in the, the present presence, moment yes. with the person and that experience that's happening to you right then and there, as opposed to that voice in the mind that says, "Oh, this is a waste of your time," or "Oh, this is so boring," or "You should be somewhere else talking to someone else." Yeah, and I don't think it means like this. Think of everything as the same, or there isn't. You know, you still could recognize certain things, but it's. You know, how would you value things if you thought it was, you know, those last experiences? And the truth is we really don't know when those last experiences mm-hmm. are. And so really shifting that mindset to appreciate everything. And as you said, um, it wouldn't just be, oh, I would look at the sky a certain way. You would be so mindful wanting to take it in. And that's also a theme he talks about meditation. And uh, when you are that observing self, you be, you know, it's part you of being surrender. more mindful. And you can surrender to whatever's in front of you instead of, again, resisting how life is and what life is showing you. Yeah. And so just some concluding thoughts as, you know, we just have to wrap up. And of course, I usually do these by myself and even in in a shorter segment, but even in a whole show, you're still going to talk about just really a little bit about the, the, what, uh, you know, whole book has within it, but this sense of finding that place where you can go to that observing self is really important. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think as a final note, one of the things that really resonated with me that I wrote down as a final note as well for the show is he says, here's, here's kind of the formula that I've put together from the book to when something happens and you have a charged reaction, you're triggered, whatever the word is that you want to use, just stop for a moment fall back behind it all. So just imagine what it would be like to psychologically or emotionally take one step back, right? And then go in, go inside yourself and do all the things we talked about to reflect, to talk, to figure out what's happening inside of you. And then what happens is you just naturally move up to spirit. So call it what you want, God, spirit, source, universe. But you have to be able to take one step back and go inside of yourself before any of that can happen. Hmm. I thought that's a great way, I think, to end the show because, um, yeah, that's like a way of putting it a bit more practically. Even that, within that, there's a lot of wisdom and a lot to try to figure out. But I think that was a good way of just reminding us to take that step back. You know, well, there's like he talks about the step, like you're kind of behind almost your thoughts and feelings. But, yeah, really slowing down a bit. So it's not that your feelings are fake or they're not real, but realizing they're not like everything or your thoughts are just not everything. Um, your thoughts are just these things that come into your mind. But if you step back and re- realize there's that, that voice or that place where that's observing the those being thoughts. inside is okay and stable and there. Yeah. And connecting more and more to that part of ourselves. It's Again, it's, it, it is very ab- abstract. It so is. It's, it's hard to even for me to... And there's no way or answer. I mean, even as we're talking about it, this is just us having a dialogue and what came up for us. And so different things will come up for different people, for listeners, and and that's okay too. So whatever you take from it, hopefully it's something that will... Yeah, I'm sure if you, you, know, you read the book, you might not even know, like some of the things we said won't even be there for you and some very different things will show up. But uh, we do have to wrap up. Thank you, Dr. Jennifer Galvin, thank for joining so me. Thank you so much. 
All right. The book was The Untethered Soul by Michael A. Singer. Dr. Jennifer Galvin, thank you for joining me tonight. And thank you to Farhuda here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Farid Olakwi. Zan Zendegi Azati. Mm-hmm.